0: HD Smartcast
1: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast
0: Hello everyone welcome to another edition of Capital Calculus the show which focuses on the intersection of politics and economics something that is critical in democracies like India especially in influencing what the little guy gets or does not get. Every week, this show will explore this intersection to try and give you a fresh perspective on the week that was. I'm your host, Anil Padman Urban. Over the last weekend, we saw a burst of policy action. First, it was the RBI. It rolled out the big guns. The biggest was the promise to retain its lose-money policy. Key. To greasing a strained economy. Equally important was the forward guidance, the message that the Indian economy was on the mend, that the worst is behind us. On Monday, Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman followed up. She announced a rupee 73,000 crore stimulus package, the second one this year. The obvious question, together do they pack a punch? Enough to reverse the severe damage to the economy? To answer this and more, I spoke to Sajid Chinoy. He is the Chief India Economist, JP Morgan. Sajid is also among the foremost economic thought leaders in the country. I began by asking him his reactions to the weekend policy blitz.
1: Yes, you know, we've seen around the world that fiscal and monetary will have to be well-coordinated uh, to deliver maximum efficacy. And we're seeing that, I think, more generally, that uh, the RBI was very clear on Friday that even though, uh, given the recent inflation trajectory, it may not have degrees of freedom to cut uh, overnight policy rates anytime soon, uh, it would like to backstop the increase in bond yield. So I think that suggests, again, more coordination, which is needed, that if, in fact, the government does issue more, and to ensure that the second half borrowing of the government is non-disruptive, the central bank will use various instruments at its disposal to try and ensure this happens in a non-disruptive manner. I'll just say one more thing that, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the RBI at length, but it's got multiple objectives at this point that it's grappling with, uh, inflation, growth, um, the currency, financial stability. And when you've got all these objectives, you need new instruments. Uh, and so the RBI has actually been uh, you know looking for and introducing new instruments Uh, a month ago we saw regulatory easing for commercial banks and we saw another instrument on friday which was forward guidance and i think the forward guidance is meant to assuage bond markets that for the foreseeable future a monetary policy will be accommodative and that should help contain bonding so this is much needed coordination between fiscal and monetary
0: sajid very interesting can you just stay on that and uh, take it a little further when you talk about these new instruments that the Reserve Bank is introducing to uh, back up its uh, diverse objectives that
1: it seems to be setting for itself. You know, in the in the classical sense, Anil, uh, you know, the Reserve Bank's mandate is a flexible inflation target, and you typically use overnight policy rates and liquidity and a combination thereof to meet your inflation target. Uh, but you know, these are exceptional times, and the unconventional is becoming conventional. And what you're seeing is the RBI has to contend with not just inflation above its target. Inflation has been averaging you know, 6.7% through 2020. But this is an unprecedented growth shock. So it's got to manage inflation. It's got to uh, you know, support growth. But the third element is we're seeing very strong capital inflows into India over the last uh, few quarters. Um, and India is running a current account surplus, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, So the balance of payments is very strong. And the problem with that is the rupee is by no means cheap. So another objective of the RBI is to try and ensure or prevent further rupee appreciation. Now, how do you prevent further rupee appreciation if you don't want to introduce more liquidity in the bond market because you're worried about inflation? But without introducing liquidity in the bond market, how do you simultaneously ensure that bond yields don't harden? because you want to ensure that the government's borrowing program goes through non-disruptively. So you can see all these different objectives. So what are these instruments? Well, one of them is to use rates and liquidity as one combined instrument. A second one is to use sterilized foreign exchange intervention for the rupee. The third is to use regulatory easing. And banks were given, were allowed to increase their hold to market Uh, 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 portfolios so that their mark-to-market risk on bonds is lower. And the fourth instrument, which has been used very effectively by central banks around the world, is to provide forward guidance. So the RBI has actually had to evolve and create these instruments to try and, you know, simultaneously manage all these different objectives uh, that have come upon us because of the pandemic.
0: Uh, Interesting, Sajid, in that case, their uh, actions on Friday, where they seem to have bet uh, on growth over inflation is not so binary as we are making it out. It's far more nuanced, right? It's far more nuanced.
1: And, you know, I've uh, referred to this earlier as the quadrilemma because typically you know, the foundational uh, concept in ma- uh, international macroeconomics is the concept of a trilemma, that a central bank simultaneously cannot have an open capital account, monetary policy, independence, and a fixed exchange rate. In India's case, the fourth element of the quadrilemma is that we also have an adverse supply shock, which is keeping growth below potential and inflation above target. So what you're seeing on Friday, for example, is a desire to spread the pressure across multiple instruments, which is why the RBI came out uh, you know, to support yields. It said that its open market operation size would double. It said it would start buying uh, state government bonds, which is a good move to introduce liquidity. But it did not pre-commit on a calendar of these purchases, which was uh, which was prudent, because it does not want to pre-commit on any liquidity injection, in my view, given where inflation dynamics are, and given that it may have to actually intervene more in the foreign exchange market to prevent rupee appreciation. So I think they've done a very good job balancing these different uh, pressures, but it is more nuanced than it comes across. And let me make one final point. All of this ultimately hinges on inflation coming down. I think the central bank had confidence to project its accommodative stance for the next two, three quarters, because in its own inflation forecast, inflation goes from seven to a four handle over the next six, seven months. Now, that is critical to giving the RBI uh, room to maneuver. Uh, you know, September CPI, unfortunately, last night uh, was, uh, you know, surprised to the upside running at 7.3 percent. With food prices remaining sticky in October, uh, inflation is expected to print close to 7 percent. So let's hope that, you know, with a strong monsoon and with the economy gradually opening up, that these disinflationary forces kick in. Because if they do, the RBI will have many more degrees to maneuver. If inflation remains much more sticky, then, everyone expects and that's been the case last year then i think macro management over the next few quarters gets more complicated
0: so sajid uh, what is your read on inflation do you concur with this very confident guidance that the RBI is almost unprecedented i've never heard such certitude from the RBI on inflation they're saying it will go down
1: well um there are many moving parts here uh, the, i think the big surprise for all of us was core inflation rising uh, over the last 4 to 6 months because you would expect that with this kind of demand shock a core inflation would you know would go there'd be disinflationary impulses in the economy my own sense was core inflation went up for a few months because of the adverse supply shock supply chains got impacted pricing power went up but the good news on the core front is the momentum of core inflation has begun to come down Four months ago, the annualized momentum of core core was 6%. In yesterday's print, the annualized momentum of core core is just 3%. So as the economy opens up, you are seeing some of these core inflation pressures abate, which is good news. The puzzle and the worry is, on. remember, we've had many years of benign food inflation on and we've actually seen food inflation average almost 9% over the last year. Now, the question is, how durable is this? Some of this is because of vegetable prices, which hopefully in the next few months should abate. But we are also seeing you know, animal proteins, for example, pulses, for example, remain very sticky. Some of these food groups have cobweb cycles. So I think it will be good to address supply aggressively on this front, um, because the concern is if you get you know, many quarters of high food inflation, the risk is that this gradually spills over into a generalized core inflation. And while we're not there yet, if food inflation remains sticky over the next four, six months and the economy is improving and pricing power is increasing, then that spillover risk increases. So again, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Right now, the base case is still that in the next few months we will see disinflation because we've had record monsoon, good sowing, uh, and that should exert downward pressure on food prices.
0: Sajid, your opening statement where you talked about how the RBI on Friday committed to backstop uh, yields on government securities. Is this a good thing or a bad thing in terms of a long-term,
1: medium to long-term development of the bond market? You know, I don't think we should judge uh, exceptional crisis actions um, or, or, or extrapolate that this will become the norm. I mean, in the normal course of events, uh, you know, uh, central banks... Um, you know, only focus on the on the on the short-term rate, the policy rate. And in the case where uh, in, uh, central banks around the world do QE, that's only because their short-term rates have gone to zero. Now, in India's case, short-term rates are not at zero, and in many emerging markets, short-term rates are not at zero. So ordinarily there would be no need to target the long bond yield, because what you should be controlling is is, is overnight policy rates, which you can. But I think these are exceptional circumstances. Uh, The fact is, fiscal deficits around the world are increasing by unprecedented quantum, 5%, 6%, 8%, 10% of GDP. And if central banks did not provide a backstop, then the risk was there'd be this significant hardening of yields. And because these are benchmark assets in the economy, financial conditions more generally would tighten. And all around the world, we've seen central banks jump in. The good news, Anil, uh, in India is, you know, the big debate six months ago on the fiscal was we should not do more, provide more fiscal support, because how will it be financed? And the concern was the RBI will be forced to monetize a large quantum of the fiscal. That, that, has, that fear and that risk has just not come to fruition. If you look at the extra borrowing in the first six months of this year by the government, Across GSECs, state government bonds, and treasury bills, it's about 9.5 trillion higher than the first six months of last year. Guess how much the RBI has had to buy? By our estimate, only about 1.6 trillion. So, only about 15% of that. So, these fears that the you know, central bank would have to monetize large parts of the deficit have not come to fruition because we haven't fully appreciated that India is running a current, large current account surplus this year. And if you, you know, fundamentally, what does the current account surplus mean? It just means it's the savings investment balance of the economy. Yeah. And what the surplus is telling us is the savings investment surplus of the private sector, households and corporate, is larger than the savings investment deficit of the public sector. That means there is excess saving in the economy. Add to that capital flows of about 2% of GDP, which means the balance of payment surplus this year will be 3.5% of GDP. Think of that as the extra savings available to the economy. This is both good news and bad news. Um, The glass half empty is that this is symptomatic of weak aggregate demand. And that's why savings are high and absorption is low. But the good news is this is like an automatic stabilizer because these savings are available to finance More uh, higher fiscal deficits by the government. And that's why the first six months of this year, the government program has gone through very non-disruptively, in my view, despite the fact that the RBI had to monetize only about 15% of it because we're running a a current account surplus and because these extra savings allow the government to run larger deficits without causing financial conditions to tighten.
0: So in that case, Sajid, uh... Monday's action of the FM uh, in her stimulus package, Stimulus 2.0. Is that a case of uh, too little?
1: Uh, you know, I, mean, we, I think what the government's done is um, uh, release this in tranches. So I think, and I think one of the reasons that they've chosen to do this in tranches is perhaps of the belief that as the economy begins to open up, two things become clear. One is what is the extent of permanent damage? And therefore, what is the extent of support needed? And the second is, one can argue that as the supply side shocks abate, then fiscal multipliers are higher. So I would still, you know, uh, hope and expect that more uh, fiscal support would be forthcoming, you know, in the coming months. And I would certainly expect or at least look for a big infrastructure push in the budget in February. But again, you know, this is a this is a fine balancing act, Anil, because remember, India comes into this with a consolidated fiscal deficit of close to 10% of GDP, debt to GDP of about 72. And even if there is very little stimulus this year, debt to GDP rises to about, you know, between 85 and 90%. So I can understand why policymakers in most emerging markets and in India recognize that fiscal space is not unlimited. That said, uh, I'll make two points. I think one is uh, you know, uh, for the foreseeable future, we should recognize that the private sector recovery is going to be gradual. I think consumption will increase only gradually, which is why yeah. you're seeing savings rates go up. I think utilization rates and investment are now below fifty percent. That will take time to pick up. So really, uh, uh, the paradox here is that despite coming in with a little bit of uh, with little space, uh, uh, the government may well ha- government spending may well have to do a lot of the heavy lifting going forward to avoid, you know, what I call non-linearities. You know, once a firm closes down, jobs are lost, entrepreneurial capital is lost. So you need to boost aggregate demand just to ensure in the crisis here, you know, too many jobs aren't lost, too many firms aren't closed, and the financial sector is backstop. The last point I'll make again, this is, you know, these are trade-offs here, is debt to GDP. Everybody focuses on the level of debt to GDP. What will matter is not the level in 2021, it's the trajectory thereafter. Is debt to GDP going up or is it stabilizing and coming down? And there I cannot help but underscore the centrality of medium-term growth. If India's medium-term growth can go back to 7%, India can essentially absorb a much larger fiscal stimulus this year and debt to GDP will still stabilize. If India's medium-term growth gets stuck at 5%, then even with little fiscal stimulus this year, debt to GDP will keep rising. So there are many considerations that go into this. I would argue that you know, we should provide whatever fiscal is required to hold the economy together and to ensure that we are protecting medium-term growth.
0: So finally, uh, Sajit, so if you were asked this question, what is your outlook for the Indian economy given these exceptional circumstances that we are in, what would it be?
1: Well, uh, you know, I think the encouraging news is, uh, you know, uh, the economy seems to be bouncing back in the month of September. Uh, But, you know, we should not overread too much into one month's data. Uh, This may well be pent up demand. uh, uh, And we will only know in the next three or four months what the sustainability of this is. Also, a lot of this is the goods sector. The services sector is recovering more slowly. I would argue that like is the case in other emerging markets. Um, the fiscal will perhaps have to play an important role over the next 12-24 months because um, I don't see consumption or private investment bouncing back in a hurry. A lot of the consumption we saw the last five years was driven by debt uh, and households running down savings. I don't think in this environment households will want to finance consumption by running down savings even further or, or taking on more debt and this is very visible in the RBI consumer confidence surveys on, on Friday. So if consumption isn't bouncing back in a hurry, exports are going to be choppy because the global economy is grappling with the same issues. It's hard to expect private investment to pick up. So I would highly like to see that in the budget, we, you know, we have a large infrastructure push, but financed by asset sales. So it's fiscally neutral. And if we can have a large infrastructure push in the budget, I think it has many impacts. One is uh, it will catalyze, it will boost aggregate demand. It will catalyze private investment. Uh, it is labor intensive. So it will fill the vacuum of jobs created by the real estate sector. And it simultaneously boosts medium-term growth. So I think, you know, medium-term growth is very much in our hands. It's a function of the policy reforms we undertake in the coming quarters and years. But I would say as the first order of business, uh, Uh, I think a big infrastructure push in the budget is perhaps needed uh, to safeguard activity and growth in the coming quarter.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Sajid, for doing this. You heard Sajid. He has laid out a very nuanced argument, suggesting the cup is half full, not half empty. The big takeaway is that the policy intervention is proactive, coordinated and frequent. The RBI and Finance Ministry are on the same page is reassuring. Given their testy history, this is another big plus at the time of such a major pandemic. The next few months will be critical for the Indian economy. The key to this is the known unknown, the status of the COVID virus. Has the pandemic run its course? If yes, then the economic outlook just became that much brighter. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Do share your feedback and ideas. You can reach me on Twitter at Capital Calculus or on Facebook and Instagram at HT Smartcast. I'll be back next week with a new episode of Capital Calculus. Till then, stay safe.
1: This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast.
0: HT Smartcast.